0: All right, all right, all right. You are listening to the Critics Circle right here on Radio Brave. I'm your host, Travis Lemons, and joining me in studio, we have Lisa Ellen and Meredith Borders, both with the Houston Film Critics Society. And Meredith, she has so many different titles that I can't keep track because it seems that she's writing for different outlets all the time. But, uh... She's just a busy beaver. That's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah, I try to stay busy. <laughs> uh, the Critics Circle is brought to you each and every week by Leonard Courtright of Allied Sighting and Windows. This is episode 102, and we have a lot to discuss today, including some new uh, docudramas, one starring Jeffrey Rush and Army Hammer called Final Portrait, another called Chappaquiddick starring Jason Clark, Ed Helms, and Clancy Brown, among others. But the big new releases this week are two films that are perfect for seeing in a theater because if you really want to draw a crowd and have the best theatrical experience possible, it has to be a comedy or a horror film, and we have two of those this week. So let's get started with Blockers. Now, Blockers, when I first heard about it and I first saw advertising for it, it looked like American Pie, but for female teenagers. So I was... Calling it jokingly American Strudel, but uh, the movie is so much more than you know—just about uh, three teenage girls that want to lose their virginity on prom night. It's more about the parents that try to stop them, and they go through elaborate schemes trying to catch up to their daughters, including one where it involves a uh, contest of sorts.
1: Where my chuggers at? Are you ready? Oh, uh, right here. Let's well, go. Word. Drop. Him. Let's do it.
0: <laughs>
1: Guys, you're just chugging, right? You're butt chugging. Guys, you butt got chugging. this. You got it. It's no, I'm tagging crazy. out. You're in.
2: What? Why me? You've had a baby. Everything's I... looser down there. I didn't have a baby out of my butt. Even so... I know that.
1: Can you lube it up with something first? Yeah, no, I'll just spit on no! it. No! Why? Because I'm a man? Get over yourself. No, because your saliva's gross. I've, I have lip gloss. I have, have lip, lip gloss. fine. I don't
2: have lip gloss. All
1: right,
2: guys, let's get those tubes in. All right, got the lip gloss on there. Okay. On three, okay. On All right. three. Yep. Okay, one. one. Oh! Are you okay? Okay,
1: get your 40s. They so you got a lager or an IPA. Oh. Does it, does it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. doesn't okay. matter. Okay. I don't
2: know about this. Take it in!
0: So that was a scene from Blockers, starring Leslie Mann, John Cena, and Ike Barinholtz, and... I, I, I read one review and the reviewer was more intrigued by you know the teenager aspect of the comedy versus the parents and I'm like no I, I like the parents so much more because I mean, that's
3: the point of it isn't
0: it Yeah and in most teenage movies like the parents don't matter so well, when you see one where the parents do actually matter it's like oh this is a nice experience for a change.
4: Yeah, I think that it actually has a really good balance in that way because I also really care about the the teenage girls. They have a a very cool friendship um, that I think if, you know, if my teenage sister watched this movie, I wouldn't hate that she watched it, which uh, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this is not a movie that any teenage girl should watch because it seems like it's all about slut shaming and, um, you know, that your parents are in charge of your bodies. And actually the lesson for the parents throughout the movie is to sort of step back and, you know, that a girl's, chastity is not the most important thing about her, which I think is a really interesting and kind of refreshing lesson in a Hollywood comedy.
3: I missed this one, so I have a question for you. How would you compare the comedy to, say, Bridesmaids? That was another one that I thought was going to be stupid and raunchy for its own sake,
4: and it ended up being incredibly heartfelt and witty. I think that it's really similar, and, um, you know, Kay Cannon uh, is the director of Blockers, but actually not the writer, and, and, you know, she's been a um, screenwriter on many other Hollywood comedies, um, a man wrote this movie and I think if a man had directed it it would have been something different entirely but Kay Cannon and you know I've read interviews with her and I, I did an interview with her where she said that she um, went through several drafts of it over and over and over again to make it not such a like dad's version of the story because yeah. dads oh, are so weird about teenage girls you know <laughs> um, so she brings a lot of um, of heart and a really sweet sensibility to it and um, I mean I, I admit that I teared up several times which right. I was not
3: expecting in this movie. This seems like John Cena really Hit the the mark on the dads being weird about their daughters too, right?
4: John Cena is so <laughs> good in this, and actually, I just I'm starting to love him so much me in too. <laughs> like he is becoming one of my favorite like male comedic leads, which I was never expecting.
0: Well, I mean, as me, you know, because I enjoy watching professional wrestling, and I've seen like John Cena, you know, on television weeks for years, and he always has this same persona, and everyone's like tired of it. So like when he comes out, uh, you know, the crowd they do a little thing where with this theme music and they go like John Cena sucks, John Cena sucks. (laughs) And then during matches, it's like, let's go Cena, Cena sucks. But his persona in the movies that he's done, well, not all movies, but the comedies that he's chosen to do is totally unlike what he plays as a a wrestling character, his persona. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, John Cena, for me, he is the... MVP of the film, not just the most valuable parent, just with everything that he does, all the uh, shenanigans and situations he gets himself into, but I mean, there's just something about it it's like, instead of, you know in television sitcoms, where you have like, the you know, like Kevin James, and he's like married to this beautiful woman. I mean, it's just like, okay, this woman is married to a guy that looks like John Cena.
4: <laughs> also, um, his the actress who plays his wife, Sarah You Blue, she's in the film um, less than, you know, she's not one of the main parents that is, you know, um, falling around the action of the film for most of it Um, but she has this one scene that I love so much where she's you know the sort of no nonsense like Indian American woman and um, she walks out and just lectures all of the parents on what idiots they're being (laughs) that's my
0: favorite scene it's
4: so good and actually makes (laughs) me wish that that she was in the film more because she's just so fed up with it but like really funny about it she's like you guys are being idiots like just leave them alone it's prom night like they will make this decision on their own you are being so stupid right now and it's just i i love it it's like really funny but it's also really i think sort of the heart of the film um and it's so cool that it comes from this like actress of color who plays john cena's like their marriage is not one that you've seen on screen before like this huge you know like swole white dude and this like (laughs) tiny little like indian doctor actress and it's really cool
0: yeah i mean with blockers i always think back you know with leslie mann the first time i saw her was in the cable guy which was uh produced by judd apatow and you know you look at the history of judd apatow and hollywood and every one he's worked with and what they have become i mean from shows like freaks and geeks and undeclared You see what happened with James Franco, Seth Rogen, and uh, Seth Rogen, who was one of the executive producers on this project, I saw him giving an an interview with him and uh, Evan Goldberg, who he's collaborated with on Superbad and other films. And they (laughs) did the entire interview while wearing chicken costumes. (laughs) Because while the movie is called Blockers, they do show a rooster in front of the film title to it's a pictorial aid <laughs> it's a pictorial aid because you know they couldn't call the movie That's what they right. wanted to <laughs> now with blockers i mean thinking of teenage comedies in general i love the approach with uh having females in the forefront for a change i mean usually it's about guys and <laughs> especially in movies dealing with uh, losing one's sexuality i mean it's almost like its own subgenre of the teen comedy because I mean you have Porky's, you have of course American Pie, and even in films like Revenge of the Nerds, where the guys are just you know all jocks think about is sports, all nerds think about is sex. <laughs> <laughs> that always stands out. But I love the change of pace to have a uh, teenager or females in. Uh, lead for change and I think we need more of that.
4: Yeah, I totally agree and I think consent's a really big part of this film like any of the sex scenes um, the the teenage girls are the ones that are making all of the initiations, they're making the decisions um, you know, not to spoil it, uh, but a couple of the girls op- they decide they're not ready to lose their virginity on Prime Night and it doesn't, you know, the their dates are like okay, I get it. That's that's completely fine. It's so rare actually to see a movie where consent is such a huge part of the story. This teens losing their virginity story, um, and I think that that's crazy important and something that I'm really glad that teenagers are going to be watching.
0: And because this is a Universal uh, Pictures release, I mean there are slight little nods to other films uh, that they have in their uh, their catalog because you look at some of the uh, the girls. Uh, posters on their walls and they have like pitch perfect which was written by k cannon and uh, love actually snow white and huntsman but for me the best uh, uh movie reference was uh one of the teens wants to have rose petals on her bed like that movie american uh, american beauty and someone asks, have you seen all of that movie like no not <laughs> think so on that path <laughs> yeah <laughs>
4: That's a different kind of uh, parental movie. That is a
0: different kind of parental movie. And uh, that was directed by Sam Mendes. And I only bring up Sam Mendes because uh, coming up on our next segment, we're going to talk about A Quiet Place starring John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. And Sam Mendes directed... John Krasinski in Away We Go, which I think is a film that not many ah, people it's have seen. That's such a hidden gem. And I love that movie. Yeah, me too. co-written by Dave Edgars, a great novelist. I've only read a few of his books. I need to read a lot more. But uh, definitely, you know, if you don't get a chance to see Blockers, this is my own personal recommendation to check out Away We Go. You can probably find it streaming yeah. platforms, Seconded. Amazon Prime. They did. Okay, so that does it for blockers we all seem to be in agreement that it is a very good comedy not just for the raunchy aspect but of the helicopter parenting and you know sometimes you just got to let teenagers do what they got (laughs) to (laughs) do all right when we come back we talk about quiet place right here on the critic circle on radio brave
2: your kitchen is the most used room in your house Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash, starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Courtright's Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713 Windows. That's 713 Windows.
0: All right, back with more Crick Circle on Radio Brave. Just a reminder, you can pa- find past episodes of the Crick Circle on Google Play Music and iTunes and via the TuneIn app. So we start off the show talking about Blockers, a movie that will make audiences laugh. Now it's time <laughs> to talk about a movie that will make audiences jump. And not and in hopefully like, not laugh. And <laughs> not in a Van Halen, you know, sort of jump way, but, uh, you know, edge of their seat terror and usually when you hear, like, edge of your seat, that's like an overused phrase. But I think in the case of A Quiet Place directed by John Krasinski and starring John Krasinski and his wife, Emily Blunt, I think it is – how would I say? I, I think it is on on point, on point, edge of your seat, because I remember watching it with the crowd we saw, at Lisa, and that was probably like the most silent – movie theater I've ever been in. Right. For a I was screening.
3: it was like people do have the ability. I <laughs> know. <laughs> but have it was right, the there wasn't a rapper crunching. Not that rapper crunching is a problem. I'm talking about more like talking through a movie, but it was it was amazing that there were no um, even one of our colleagues was saying he was having a hard time because he had to cough and he didn't want to cough <laughs> um, i was feeling bad about it. But it was silent in there. And it was my first day with a new phone was like please after three hundred and fifty screenings, please l- have this, this one be where my phone one. malfunctions <laughs> 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 made it through. So
0: just a quick idea of what the movie is about uh, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sounds and I, I tried talking about this movie with uh, people I know and it's a very hard movie to tell them it's like yeah it's almost like a silent film but you almost want to see it in the best theater possible with the best sound system possible and they mm-hmm. just sort of like look at me with like they sort of tilt their Head like a dog. <laughs> Sound like, design
4: is so important about? in this it movie, is.
3: and it's yeah. um, it's so well done. I make it every long. effort to see it in an in a auditorium. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and uh, this is John Krasinski's uh, third film. His uh, last film, The Hollers, from a few years ago, was about a uh, family dynamic, and you know the mom dealing with uh, issues with I was it diabetes. I'm trying to remember her exact illness, but she she was a she overweight woman brain and she cancer, was cancer.
3: I thought. I, could was, be
0: wrong. I think she was dealing with diabetes, but she was suffering with a uh, brain cancer as well. That
3: was the flashpoint that brought the family together.
0: That was the flashpoint that brought the family together. And when uh, John Krasinski was working on this project, you know, he read the script and he didn't have uh, he had some people in mind of who to play his wife. But uh, <laughs> then his uh, his wife got a hold of the script.
1: As I was pitching her ideas that I was writing in the script, she never read the script. She was just hearing these ideas, and then she started listing actresses that she thought would be really good for the part. And I actually even started reaching out to those actresses. And then one day we were on a plane together, and she said, Do you mind if I read the script? Um, Are you at that place where I can read it? And I said, Yeah, sure. And she read it, and I'll never forget, she turned to me, and she looked sick. And so like before I could reach for a barf bag, she just said, you can't let anyone else do this movie, and I truly didn't know what she meant. It was kind of like this weird, surreal moment. And she said, um, "I, I, this, I have to play this part." And I said, "Are you saying what I think you're saying?" I thought it's like she was proposing to me or something. And I said, um, uh, "Are you saying what I think you're saying?" And she said, "Yeah. I, will you let me be in this movie?" And I was like, mm, "I guess. Yes. I guess we can we can <laughs> let you in." No. And and I, I've said it before, but the truth is, it was the greatest compliment of my career because I have been witness to exactly what it takes to get my wife to commit to a movie and how insanely classy she is, how insanely smart she is, how insanely dedicated she is to all these movies that she chooses.
0: Nice words by John Krasinski talking about his wife, Emily Blunt. And you know, it's that family dynamic works and you see it in the scenes they have with each other. And Emily Blunt, there is a scene in the movie and, uh, involving a bathtub that is like the most horrifying and horrific scene I've seen quite a while. <laughs> and because of her, she makes it work as well the movie does. I mean, the movie as a whole is, you know, generally flawless. And I think more than the horror itself was the, th- the themes of family and almost like a metaphor on, you know, how close you need to be together.
3: I would going to say almost is. I would even put this more in the category of suspense thriller than horror. I know for marketing it's going to be a horror movie Um, so there, there are creatures Okay, so that makes it horror but it's also it's not just all about it's not blood and guts and attacks and all the rest of it it's well, I think the Much best than that. horror
4: movies, um, there is a, a real emotional aspect to it because if you don't care about the characters, who cares if they die, you yeah. know? Um, and so as a horror fan, my favorite horror movies always have this sort of thread of um, a, a real emotional core. And I think that A Quiet Place achieves that amazingly. And, you know, it's, it's of course, Krasinski and Blunt, but then these two child actors, Millicent Simmons from Wonderstruck and Noah Jupe, who's, um, gosh, he's been in a lot recently. I can't. Um,
0: uh, he was re- recently in a Suburbicon. Yeah, Suburbicon. With uh, Matt Damon, and he was also in Wonder. He played Jack yes. Will. Yes. Yeah,
4: Wonder and Wonderstruck. <laughs> um, what these two kids are from, um, and they're amazing. And, and it's really just. Um, for most of the film these four actors and um, I did an interview with the producers Andrew Forman Brad Fuller and they talked about how the these four actors um, you know they just went to this farm where they filmed everything for days and days and days and there really was this tight family aspect I mean of course two of them actually were family but the kids became a huge part of that too and um, so you could just you feel that on screen I mean there's so much emotional um, connection there Right.
3: It's I think also with Krasinski the dramatic conversation needs to be kept in mind going forward as well. I mean, he, he will be completely eclipsed by the time award season comes along. <laughs> right. However, I still am going to bring it back up at that time and say let's just give it an honorable mention. He really showed something special and elevated his game. Well, it's probably the kind of game that was always always there, but we get to see it this time.
4: Absolutely. His relationship with his daughter, um, the dynamic between Krasinski and Melissa Simmons is unbelievable and it's actually really kind of a thorny relationship. Um, there's a lot of um, resentment there for um, you know various reasons that we get, um, get to understand throughout yeah. the film and it's, uh, oh, it's so beautifully done. I think it's in my top ten
3: easily and it's likely to stay there not just because of the calendar but it's going <laughs> to have to be unseated as the year goes along.
0: I, I think you're right. I mean uh, A Quiet Place, it totally took me by surprise. I mean I had seen advertisements for the film and I was intrigued But, like, the total execution, as Meredith mentioned, the sound design is, like, breathtaking. Oh,
4: my gosh. It's so good. I
0: mean, like, every creek, you're, like, on the edge of your seat. And the way this family has survived, because you don't get an idea of, you know, where these creatures came from. They're just sort of here. I mean, the fan fiction in me is, like, they're remnants from Stephen King's The Mist that have evolved and the uh, army could not kill them because it's of nice the sound. I
3: like that. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, It's funny
4: because we don't have any information about yeah. that. Like The film starts, the the opening title screen says 89 days later and you're like, right. later than what? <laughs>
3: like, yeah, after was, what? And you right. never
4: really find out. Um, it's kind of like
3: Annihilation that way for me at the end. Totally. it's like I don't even care and we don't care why or what. It's just the fact that this is happening yeah. is really all that matters. I think
4: that's so interesting and I wish yeah. more films were comfortable with ambiguity because I feel like so many films just have to spell everything out for the audience and I think it's Uh, really cool when a film does not and it doesn't feel like a plot hole, it doesn't feel like something that, it feels like the writers know what happened, they're just not interested in letting the audience know. Yes, and
3: using up time. They're going to spend their time telling the story, and not the backstory of how this happened. Exactly, I think that's
4: really cool.
0: It's funny you mention the writers because I read somewhere that when uh, the writers had finished the initial draft, that there was only one line of dialogue in the film. But then, of course, they had to go back, and you know, it's like, you know, that won't sell for audiences but
4: yeah the um the original um screenwriters were Scott Beck and Brian Woods and then John Krasinski um did several drafts of the, of the screenplay as well and the producers um and Fuller were saying that when they received the screenplay it was like I think 58 pages and of course it's about a page a minute and so they're like this is a whatever usually so it's like this is a 58 minute movie like that's impossible but then they they looked through it and they were like wow there's no dialogue so a, a lot of the um, pages would actually um, just be a countdown where it would just be like one page said three and the next page said two wow. the next page said one and then the page after that would there'd be this like huge horror set piece um, so it was a really unusual screenplay um, but then of course they had to add a little you know a little to it, so it wasn't a fifty-eight-minute movie, right. <laughs> which they did well. Knowing that, I very mean, it, there's well.
3: no fluff. The re- the remainder that they added was definitely not fluff. It's you don't feel very like at tight.
4: All. I mean, it's mm-hmm. ninety minutes, and it does not feel like a wasted moment in the That's, entire film.
0: There is uh, also some shots in the films. Like at the end of each night, they go up onto a, uh, it's a water th- tower, water tower, mm-hmm. and they set a fire and then they look out into the forest and they see other fires set so that you know that there are other survivors of this. Uh, yeah, that's,
3: that's really very Lord of the Rings, yeah. oh, that's one of my favorite scenes they call for help. I love that too. People. And it
4: also sort of reminded me of the end of um, The Invitation and um, where they write, uh, light the red lanterns. But it's cool because this entire movie takes place just uh, focusing on this one family. And for a lot of it, you're like, are they literally the only people left on Earth? Uh, But then you find out at the end, no, there are tons more stories like this out there. But those are not the stories we're choosing to tell. This is the story we're choosing to tell. And it's
3: not set up for a sequel, though. Yeah. It's a standalone film. Which is very rare. Very rare.
0: Thank goodness for that because we don't always need sequels. Hollywood needs sequels. audiences do not. But uh, So A Quiet Place, highly recommended by the panel here on the Critics Circle. Lisa Ellen says it's going to be in her top 10 of this year. It possibly might be in mine and Meredith's as well. We shall see how the rest of the year plays out. So we have two strong candidates for movies for you to watch this weekend. We have a comedy with blockers and a suspense thriller with A Quiet Place. When we come back on the Critics Circle, the panel and I will be discussing the word of embellishing. And that is the key word for today in the next segment because there was a recent court ruling which fined in favor of a television network instead of a famous actress. So stay tuned when we talk about embellishing right here on the Critics Circle.
2: Your kitchen is the most used room in your house. Leonard Courtright here, and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room. That's a fact. And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash, starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor-to-ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Courtright's Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713 Windows. That's 713 Windows.
0: And we're back to the Critics Circle it's amazing the things we can talk about during break segments before <laughs> coming back to the show. Like uh, Meredith was saying that uh, one of the producers of A Quiet Place was married to uh, Jordana Brewster. And in the movie Blockers, they have this discussion about the Fast and Furious movies in which she was in, including uh, one piece about how the Leslie Mann's character had only seen two of the Fast and Furious movies the one uh, Tokyo Drift and the one where The Rock like <laughs> deflects a torpedo. <laughs> and like Ike Barinholtz is like, oh, those are good ones. It's <laughs> like, yes, finally we have cinematic proof that someone agrees with me that Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift is one of the best Fast and Furious <laughs> movies. <laughs> Granted, I'm one of those guys that uh, was crazy enough when I think the sixth one came out at the... Uh, Alamo Draft House. They had an all-day marathon, and I sat through every single one of those.
3: That's movies. dedication. That's a, that's man. a long day. <laughs> that is
0: a long day indeed. But uh, you know, what is it? Next week. Is it next week is Movie Hullabaloo?
4: Yes. Um, so this is a, a film marathon that um, myself, Robert Sassato, the Houston Alamo programming director, and Alan Cerny, another local film critic, have. Um, this is, I don't know, maybe our sixth year of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a all-day marathon that we do at the Alamo Draft House. I believe there are still tickets available. And the three of us each choose a film that we've always wanted to program with audiences but never have. And then we also show two um, sneak previews of upcoming films. So it's usually three repertory titles and then two sneak previews. Reviews of um, upcoming new releases. And um, it's uh, always a secret. Like, um, you guys won't know what the programming is until you get there. But it's always a really good time. And um, I'm always really proud of the lineup.
0: Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. Meredith has done a very good job with the titles that she's picked because I believe the first year she picked Ryan Johnson's Brick. Yes. And uh, Ryan Johnson, anyone. He went on to do some stuff in Hollywood. Stuff. No,
4: I, I think that was his last movie. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Definitely the, did not go on direct Star Wars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, she also did Roxanne. I did. I love and that one. The legend, legend of Billie Jean, which Alan Cerny yeah. had not seen. And he just like... Totally lost it watching it. I have to say that
4: um, programming Legend of Billy Jean is like the highlight of my entire career because ha- more I think than half the audience hadn't seen it. And afterwards, every- service and, right? And afterwards, everyone was so like amped up, and there were so many fists in the air. Fair is fair. It just it was very rewarding.
0: I think I watched that movie so many times on HBO growing up as a child. And for the longest time, I thought Christian Slater and Helen Slater were, were related. Yeah, but Christian
4: Slater and Helen Slater play brother and sister in the movie, but they are not related in <laughs> real life. Right. It's really funny.
0: But uh, so that's a uh, movie hullabaloo, so a little nice little advertising. Thank so you. if you have not <laughs> procured your tickets, do so. I will be in attendance. You know Meredith will be in attendance. So if you do come out or in the Houston area, you will get to see both of us. Yeah, come there. say hi. <laughs> So embellishing, I had teased this at the, last, at the end of the last segment. Uh, this was uh, something that you had keyed me on, Lisa, because mm-hmm. you came across this article in Variety. So I will let you roll with it.
3: Well, last year, when Feud came out, the story of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford came on the FX FX Network. Which is wonderful, by the way. Yes. Everyone should see it. It's Yes, so good. indeed. We loved it. All, all of us here loved it. Um, Olivia de Havilland brought suit against FX because she was saying she was not consulted for being portrayed by Catherine Zeta-Jones. And she did not like the way that she was being portrayed. So she sued. And then it was she won in the lower court. And then FX... Uh, appealed and it was just reversed this past couple of days ago saying that um it is within the constitution the constitutional limits of freedom of speech to present somebody in a historical context like that without a without getting their permission first and b in any way that they want so which is an interesting and and it goes on, I won't spend time here unless anybody's interested, but it goes on to talk about the different legalities of why that is. It was a strong argument. So the, the the way it shakes out then is that when writers are portraying someone in a historical context like this, whether it's fictional or for a documentary or a docudrama purpose, that they are permitted to present people essentially how they want. So Because what happened was that de Havilland had said she had never used the B word to describe her sister, although she did say <laughs> dragon lady. And so it's talking about like, well, you can... Reasonable minds can disagree on what the intent of that was, and then the the artists are able to do film and TV and book and authorship works of authorship as they desire.
4: And all of Hollywood was watching this really closely mm-hmm. because um, this is something that writers have wanted to do, um, you know, for for years. And um, I think that. Um the social network is a really good example of that because there was a lot of um, the social network is not a perfectly historical accounting of how Facebook was invented, but who wants to watch that because that's boring, you <laughs> right. know, um, it's actually just a much more interesting and narratively propulsive way of telling the story. And um, creators should be able to make a story more interesting. My, my, father who's a columnist um, ha- ha- calls it artistic license and I used yes. to get so mad at him when I was a kid because he would tell stories about me <laughs> and then make them more interesting and therefore more embarrassing for me and I'm like that's not how it happened and he's like artistic license goose which is my nickname <laughs> and so I, I grew up you know hearing these words. Braced and, for it. Yeah and I never thought I'd be in a um, situation where I would root for Ryan Murphy over Olivia de Havilland because I love Olivia de Havilland so yes. much and Ryan Murphy is a little bit of a jerk um, you know by all accounts but I think this is a really important case that is setting a process that um, is important in hollywood it's a landmark yeah it's
3: exciting There was a um also i had some it's interesting too because when uh, steve jobs came out um, the way that scott rudin and um, danny boyle were talking about putting that together since much of that did not ever actually happen right and so they were saying well this is the way because they were purporting that it was Biographical, at the same time saying, "Well, this is the way we would have seen it." It's like, well, then don't say it's biographical. For me, that's don't say it's biographical and then completely change it. <laughs> right? You know, it's like that's a separate kind of an issue.
0: I love that the two examples you just picked were both
3: written by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. I mean, Sorkin is. Oh, actually- yeah, I met Sorkin. Thank you. Yes.
4: Yeah, Sorkin is very much the um, sort of king of embellishing mm-hmm. and. You know, I mean, honestly, like, I'm okay with watching a film that's more interesting than the way it actually happened because, I mean, he just recently did it with Molly's Game. I mean, that story is is very interesting as is. I mean, I've read the um, article that it's based on, but you know, I mean, if you're going to watch a two hour film, you're going to want some embellishment to, unless it's a documentary, which is something else entirely different conversation. It's a different conversation. Yeah. Then um, I think a creator should be able to tell a story in the manner that he or she chooses.
0: Yeah. There was a a comment uh, or with the uh, panel of three judges, justice Ann Egerton. She wrote that a person does not own history, nor does she have, in the case of Olivia de Havilland, have legal right to control, dictate, approve, disapprove, or veto the creator's portrayal of actual people.
4: Which is really interesting. And honestly, anyone who's seen Few does not, it, comes across as very heightened it comes across as very um melodramatic and you know no one's going to watch that and think this is an identical portrayal of who Olivia de Havilland is I understood that it was an embellishment right. while watching it I was not confused as a viewer into thinking I was actually watching a documentary you know? exactly
3: and if it if it does go too far then we have defamation laws exactly and then those kick in and then you take it from there you know it was interesting too there's a um I mean that's Completely (laughs) thought went right out of my head. When you think
0: of, like, Ryan Murphy and all the projects that he's worked on, you know, things from Nip Tuck to Glee and uh, the People vs. O.J. Simpson, it's like people would watch the People vs. O.J. Simpson and actually have an idea. It's like, oh, so that's what actually happened. I'm like, no, this is a... Drama of you know it's not an actual documentary mm-hmm. if you want the actual documentary you should watch the one that there's won an Oscar. excellent one you
3: should watch there's eight the, hours of it eight so. hours. i remember what it, it, liam neeson back with the kingdom of heaven there was a and he was and i wish i could remember who he was quoting i cannot but he was quoting somebody saying that many times that the tr- more truth is revealed in the artistic depiction of it than in the actual facts of the matter. And so there was, a, for example, in Kingdom of Heaven, there was an 11-year gap between two of the battles. So there's one where one happened, and the next thing we see King Baldwin going out to meet Saladin and all that. There was an 11-year gap in there, but it was so much more pointed and dramatic. And we get the point of it by collapsing that and you know completely eliminating that portion
4: absolutely I think it um, points to the difference of emotional truth versus literal truth yes well and storytelling is about emotional truth
0: yeah uh, on the Craig circle we had the grandson of Winston Ch- sir Winston Churchill Jonathan That's Sandy's right. on here talking about Churchill starring a uh, Brian Cox as Winston Churchill and he absolutely loved Uh, uh, Brian Cox's interpretation of Winston Churchill he did not like the movie because of all its inaccuracies Mm -hmm. and you know I mean the person who wrote the screenplay was not very well versed in in, I guess in history so again it comes down to it's like well this is what felt good for the movie and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't as we see time and time again when you see a movie and it usually will start off based on a true story or inspired by actual events. Yeah.
3: Inspired by is your clue that this is
4: Avery. largely
3: fabricated.
4: But, it, you know, that there is a grain of truth here, but yeah. there, there's a lot of... Do not assume you're watching. <laughs> exactly. but
3: yeah, I, I still stand by. If you're going to presume, like, for, for example, with Churchill, I think it's important to keep those facts correct, though, because... This is the way that many people are going to get their history. You know, if you completely change the facts of World War II, then that's a different conversation. (laughs) That
0: is a different conversation. Well, speaking of based on a true story, you know, besides Blockers and uh, A Quiet Place opening in theaters, there are three other new releases that are based on or inspired by actual events. So when we come back on the Critic Circle, we will be talking about chappaquiddick about ted kennedy and that fateful event uh, final portrait about an artist and the final portrait he made before his death and the miracle season a inspiring sports story so stay
2: tuned for the critic circle right here on radio brave your kitchen is the most used room in your house leonard court right here and more of your waking hours are spent in the kitchen than in any other room that's a fact And now, thanks to Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied Siding and Windows, you can update your kitchen with new flooring, cabinets, countertops, and backsplash, starting at $225 per month for an average-sized kitchen. Allied Siding and Windows is celebrating our 30th anniversary by introducing our new Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets renewal service. It shouldn't take months and tens of thousands of dollars to remodel a kitchen that's outdated or simply worn out. Courtright Kitchens and Cabinets installs your new custom kitchen in 21 days, guaranteed. Not months and months, less than one month. We provide a whole new kitchen floor to ceiling, including our exclusive furniture-grade cabinets made right here in Texas. Our design team uses innovative space planning and design ideas to make the most used room in your house the most updated room in your house. Mother's Day is on its way. How about a new kitchen for mom? Get a $500 Amazon gift card with your new kitchen purchase before April 30th. Courtright's Kitchens and Cabinets by Allied. 713 Windows. That's 713 Windows.
0: All right. Back for more Critic Circle and Radio Brave, Travis Lemons with Meredith Borders and Lisa Ellen. And at the start of the show, I forgot to mention Bobby, the World's Tallest producer, doing his thing on the switchboard over there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm always bad about bearing the lead because I want to talk about Molly Ringwald and The Breakfast Club. Not only because I like The Breakfast Club, I consider it one of my favorite movies growing up, but uh, she wrote a piece for The New Yorker, And uh, we will get to it quickly in this segment because I just want to get these few movies out of the way so we can talk more. (laughs) Molly Ringwald's The Breakfast Club and what it means to revisit movies that you start in and watching it with your young daughter or whomever. (laughs) So we have three other films on the agenda. We have A Final Portrait. This is a new film written and directed by Stanley Tucci, who has something in common with Emily Blunt from A Quiet Place. He is married to her sister, Felicity Blunt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He did a movie called Final Portrait. This is a story of American writer James Lord, who uh, poses for a portrait by friend, renowned artist, uh, Alberto Giacometti, uh, and their offbeat friendship this movie i mean even though it stars jeffrey rush and army hammer it just didn't really click for me i mean i i enjoy the performances but the movie thematically as you know it's only like 90 minutes long and it just doesn't really do anything for me
3: yeah, i thought it captured well the frustration that comes with being in the close environs of the highly temperamental yeah. artist and um, but it and so we kind of get that grind of the daily struggle, with the people around him, but then when it resolves, there's nothing much other than well, much like our protagonist, like well, glad I put a halt to that and went on with my life. Well, I so mean, I, if that's intentional, that's great. It's
0: it's like we we write and talk about movies, and but we have no idea of you know how, unless we're actually on set to see the process as it happens, because. I mean, you think it's just oh, I mean, it's just a movie. I mean, how hard can it be? And it's like you see everything that goes on behind the scenes and like <laughs> your just, eyes just widen it's like, okay, if I was documenting this, I would probably get sued. <laughs> but uh so that's Final Portrait. It's uh, good
3: though. If you're interested in art then if you're interested in art and artists, this is an interesting watch.
0: And uh, this, I believe this is the first movie Stanley Tucci has directed in which he has not been a part of the cast. Mm -hmm. And that dates all the way back to 1996, Big Night, which is like the ultimate foodie movie for me, especially if you love pasta and carbohydrates. Uh, So we have uh, Final Portrait, Chappaquiddick. This is a new film by John Curran, who did one of your favorites, *Lisa the Painted Veil*. Yeah. Uh, this stars uh, Jason Clark, who, coincidentally enough, the last time Meredith was on the Critics Circle was with *Winchester*, that also starred Jason Clark and Helen Mirren. So I think whenever Jason Clark has a new movie coming out, Meredith Marvel borders going to be on the
3: panel. On <laughs> <laughs> and a, and a Mark standing standing the Clark's Mark Stan calendar.
0: So he plays Ted Kennedy. It depicts a. Uh, Ted Kennedy's involvement in the fatal uh, 1969 car accident at Chappaquiddick that claims the life of Mary Jo Kopechny. And she was a secretary for uh, Bobby Kennedy. And the movie doesn't take sides when it comes to Ted Kennedy. I mean, it's not trying to paint, you know, uh, Ted Kennedy as a villain. And I think it's good for that because you see uh, Jason Clark and he knows what he did is bad but he tries to he tries to find the good that can come out of it as far as what it means to be a Kennedy and uh, Bruce Dern who plays uh, Joe Kennedy Sr he is only in it briefly and there's a scene in the film where he basically says that you are like the worst Kennedy and not just because of what he did but in terms of his accomplishments as a Kennedy.
3: It's interesting. We were talking earlier about the FX case because FX just started a new series called Trust about J. Paul Getty and the kidnapping of his grandson, and that's unfolding now. It's in sec- its second week, but um, one of the issues that is what how Getty felt about how his children carry on the Getty name and what it means to be a Getty. You know, talked about Joe Kennedy at the time. Look at his, look at his kids. Look at my kids. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting to compare the two. That's a, that's a great show. Anybody wants to check that out.
0: But uh, Chappaquiddick, it's not, you know, a great movie by any stretch. I saw it with uh, an audience of mostly uh, probably uh, AARP card holders. And uh, they were very respectful during the movie. I mean, usually when you see certain movies with the uh, type of audience, sometimes they'll be, like, talking <laughs> throughout, which surprises me. I mean, you would think older audiences would have uh, more better manners. But... Uh, It is uh, very well shot. The uh, cinematographer, she also did the cinematography for Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler and uh, Ryan Kugler's Creed. So it has that going for it. And a great turn by Ed Helms, who plays uh, Ted Kennedy's uh, cousin, Joe Gargan. And I believe this could be a a nice uh, end for him to doing some dramatic work because you always... associated him with, uh, you know, The Office, also with John Krasinski. So we have another tie in to A Quiet Place. And, uh, but in his limited role in the film Clancy Brown as Robert McNamara, I want to see that movie of him as Robert McNamara just to see what he did in Washington, you know, through the That 60s. would be a loaded film. That would be a loaded wow. film. Wow. Indeed. And <laughs> for a
3: whole lot of reasons.
0: <laughs> and the last new release is. The Miracle Season, and I don't know too much about the story, only that it deals uh, a tragic tragic death of a star volleyball player. A team of dispirited high school girls must band together under the guidance of their tough-love coach played by Helen Hunt in hopes of winning the state championship. This was also done by the same director that directed Helen Hunt in Soul Surfer from 2011, and the writer of the film also wrote the film version of Friday Night Lights, a movie which when I think of, I think of like Peter Berg yeah. as like who did everything, but apparently it was also written by uh, this author, this screenwriter here. And aside from, you know, those parallels or correlations, I'm like, where have you been, Helen Hunt?
4: Yeah, I've missed her. I'm, yeah, I'm glad she's too. back on our screens.
0: Because I mean the last big film i remember her well i say big i mean i don't know how many people have seen uh the sessions with john hawks Mm -hmm. but she was excellent excellent. in that film so so is he
4: yeah that's a great movie
0: that's one you definitely have to check out if you uh if did not appear on your radar definitely put it in your queue to watch later but uh so those three films final portrait which lisa and i say we like the Artistic, you know, showing how hard it is to create, you know, art. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chappaquiddick, which I give high points for Ed Helms. Even Jason Clark. I mean, he nails the Kentucky accent, which is (laughs) amazing for an Australian actor. And uh, The Miracle Season. Don't know too much about this other than it stars Helen Hunt. Our
3: colleagues are saying it was cute. It was (laughs) cute. So so it didn't have a lot of substance. It was sweet. And it had a, you know, had a little bit of heft, but not a lot.
0: Well, you know who else is cute? Molly Ringwald. She
4: is. She is cute.
0: <laughs> you know how cute she is.
3: How cute is she, Travis?
0: She's so cute that John Krasinski had a childhood crush on her. Uh, See how everything comes back to a quiet place. It does. It's like it's all the these of our different universe. movies. Yes, the center this of week. this week's show is a quiet place. <laughs> so we are talking a lot about a quiet place. But Molly Ringwald. She wrote this piece for The New Yorker, which Meredith Border shared on her timeline, and I happened to check. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. She is watching The Breakfast Club with her, was it, 10 year old daughter? She
4: was 10 when she watched it. This was a couple okay. of years ago. Um, and Molly Ringwald wrote a really interesting article about reviewing John Hughes' films in the context of um, her adulthood and then also the Me Too movement. So um, what I find so interesting about it is that there's a lot of nuance. A lot of times on the Internet, everything is good or bad. And she acknowledges that a lot of those films have problematic content. There's a lot of sexual harassment. There's a lot of racism, um, homophobia, sexism. um, But they also... There's a lot of beautiful, um, you know, stories about outsiders and, and finding your misfit family. And so she just um, she talked a lot about how this um, this man who, who made her a star. I mean, it's an interesting article if anyone wrote it, but it's especially interesting that it, it's, you know, she's writing about the movies that are the only reason we know her name. Yes. You know, Um that uh, this writer who had so much sensitivity in some ways had this as she put it, glaring blind spot and um, that he was you know a straight white man and he, everything he wrote was in a you know a very straight white man lens in the 80s when when you could do anything as a straight white man in the 80s you know Well uh,
0: I mean we're gonna carry this conversation on because I, I think we need to talk a little bit dig a little bit deeper into this because John Hughes, I mean we know him from the breakfast club 16 candles but he got his start with national lampoon right and i mean he wrote a story vacation 58 which was later made into the film which he wrote national lampoon's vacation and you just see uh you know coming from that environment of you know guys booze and you know satire and how it had an effect and on license him, and license mm-hmm. when he wouldn't into uh making films so i mean john hughes we all know him from the breakfast club but when we come back on the Crick circle we're going to dig a little bit deeper into uh you know the me too movement and you know revisiting these films from our childhood and what they mean looking back today as well as do a little bit of fantasy casting and uh narrative writing when we do uh rewrite or recast so stay tuned for that right here on radio brave all right we have survived another episode of the critic circle on radio brave just one more reminder you can find past episodes of radio of the critic circle on google play music and itunes and via the tune in app uh, as we were talking at the end of the last segment molly ringwald and the breakfast club and the whole me too movements during the break we brought up uh, a profile about brendan fraser and how he was uh basically blackballed by hollywood after being uh, sexually assaulted at the golden globes several several years ago and then lisa brought it to our attention that uh, he's on that new series trust mm-hmm. basically playing the same role that mark Wahlberg did in the film yeah and yeah. in which at the time it came out, that Mark Wahlberg actually got paid more than <laughs> Michelle Williams. So, uh, but if you definitely, we could not remember the uh, outlet in which the piece, uh, profile piece, was. But uh, definitely, if you have the time, do read it, and you will come to have a greater appreciation for Brendan Fraser. Won't be hard to find. You, yeah, I mean, just Google do a quick it. Google check, and you will find it probably at the top of the list. Now, uh, getting back to Molly Ringwald, The Breakfast Club, and the Me Too movement. In the article, it talked about uh, one of the early versions of the script. There was a scene in which Principal Vernon is watching like this. uh, Was it a swim instructor that's swimming? Naked. Mm-hmm. Swimming naked. It's
4: like, I'm sorry, what teacher would swim naked at her high school? Exactly. <laughs> and Molly Ringwald told um, John Hughes that she, yeah, exactly. that she thought it was dumb and that he should cut it. He, he listened to her a lot, she said, which I think is very cool. To
3: his benefit.
4: To his benefit, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think what's so interesting about the article, um, aside from it being Molly Ringwald talking about John Hughes films in such a frank way is that it, um, it's a really good way to talk about how to watch older movies that have this like problematic social content. Um, there's a a faction of people who are like, well, we shouldn't watch movies that, you know, uh, feature racism or um, sexism or homophobia. Um, and then there are other people who watch them just completely blindly and accept them and love them in spite of that. Um, I, I have always felt and, and um, wish I could have ever said as eloquently as Molly Ringwald did, that um, it's important to you know, continue to watch film or read books through the context of the time, um, but also with uh, modern eyes. So I agree. Un- yeah. understand what is, um, you know, problematic about these films and um, learn from those lessons, but don't, you know, s- still understand what's great about them and, and why they've connected with so many people over the years.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like whenever you, you look at each year, they release a list of movie or a uh, books that are banned by schools because of certain content, and it's like you have to look at when these books were written it's like that'd be like not uh, you know teaching the adventures of huckleberry finn because the use of the you know n-word just which like,
4: is i mean there are many schools that will not teach one of the great novels uh, and a, a, a book that's actually very you know progressive and anti-racism um but yeah, I think that um, you know y- you don't learn from past mistakes if you pretend that they don't exist. Right,
3: and you don't alert yourself or, or our kids to what is out there if we sanitize it Absolutely. and censor. So I think that those I think the context is the most important thing. And also, we were talking about um, I was having this conversation with some other colleagues one day about Kevin Spacey was who we were talking about specifically that day, but also just about where we each need to draw our line about. Are we going to damn the entire production right. of all of these artists because of this one bad actor? And we have to, it's just important for us to, like we were talking earlier about embellishment. If it moves too far afield, then we can start moving right. into the defamation laws. Fine, we've got pl- things in place. It's the same kind of thing. We need yeah. to look at what was there. If, if this were created today, it would be a completely different conversation.
0: Yeah, and is, I was talking about, uh, like, leading up to Ready Player One, I watched all uh, Back to the Future movies and if you they go back to hill valley in 1955 and you know you see how they act and uh, certain words that they say you know when you watch this as a kid that doesn't even cross your mind i remember watching uh pulp fiction i think i was like 14 years old there was a word i didn't really understand and i asked i asked my mother and she told me what it meant like oh okay and then I just went on with my business. I mean, I'm, this is coming from a guy who watched his first horror movie in daycare. And I, I shared that story with <laughs> Meredith. I actually gave her an idea when uh, Fangoria starts, as like, call it my first time. And if you have your earliest horror movie memories, like, yeah, I bet no one else saw their first horror movie in daycare. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, sometimes you just, you know, you watch things and you either absorb it and, you know, just go on with it or you let it become a part of you and i was able at an early age to uh know fiction from not fiction from fact i mean i'm watching freaking looney tunes and it's like yeah i know this isn't real it's a cartoon but you know without looney tunes i probably wouldn't have any idea of certain classical pieces of music <laughs> so
3: i like what Ringwall was saying too about watching it with her daughter and being able to pull those pieces out that are conversation worthy and then letting the rest still be enjoyed. Yeah absolutely
4: and I think that's something that we should all figure out how to do with um, these movies that either you know star men that it turns out later were you know sexual assaulters or um, you know have content that we don't approve of Um, just don't throw out the entire film or or book based on that Um, take what's valuable and leave what isn't.
3: And in the article she spoke of um, speaking with um, Haviland Morris right? Like yes, I've has yes. <laughs> got De Havilland in my mind now. There's a, um and about the scene where um she ends up spending the evening fill that blanket how you want with, with uh, Ted Farmer yeah, Ted and
4: 16, and
3: Sixteen Candles and how they each saw that film how Ringwald and Morris are both viewed that film differently that seemed that, that exchanged differently at the time and now even so it's mm-hmm. an interesting read in the article it really is for balancing these different equities as they say yeah mm-hmm. um, the
4: article's in the New Yorker so please look it up um, uh, and and um, on top of everything else Molly Ringwald's just a wonderful writer yes. um, which is sort of a lovely surprise for someone who's known in front of the camera what a beautiful yeah. and brilliant writer she is.
0: Well, speaking of writing, uh, this last bit on the segment, I came up with a, uh, an idea i was been floating around. Originally it was going to be like movie Mad Libs where we would take a synopsis of a movie, change up a few things and see how it would turn out. But instead, I came up with a rewrite or recast. If you could rewrite or recast a movie, what would you pick and how would you do it? So I gave an example of one that I would do is because I saw Ted on TV over the weekend. I'm like, well, what if instead of Mark Wahlberg, Mila Kunis and the voice of Seth uh, McFarlane as uh, the voice of Ted? What if you had Don Cheadle, Regina King, Regina King, who is just a great actress from uh, Ray and uh, uh, Jerry Maguire and featuring the voice of Richard Pryor? And, I mean, you could even take the same type of scenario where a collector wants to get the bear. But, I mean, if you had the collector be, you know, a white man who wants a black bear, almost sort of like you could almost have slavery undertones, too. I mean, I I don't think Hollywood would make that movie, but I would just be curious what Richard Pryor would say as Ted. (laughs) But uh, so that was an idea I had floated, you know, if we were going to remake the movie Ted and do it with uh, a mostly black cast. And it doesn't have to be, you know, straight up, you know, changing the color of the actors or the gender specific. Like I know a few years ago, Jason Reitman did uh, a, a reading of Glen Glenn Glen Ross with all female actors, which I would actually like to see that movie, but uh, I'd like to hear what uh, Meredith and Lisa have.
3: Well, I was laughing because I was uh, sitting with, chatting with one of our colleagues one time, Joe Fryer, (laughs) and he was saying, we're talking about movies, like, what one would you You keep watching, hoping it would be better the next time. It's like, oh, yeah, that would be Jupiter Ascending because it had a couple of things that were so fantastic and so much was just awful. So we don't have a lot of time, but the two things I would start with, and I do have a list, but I'm going to just do the two. One, I would swap out Mila Kunis for Juno Temple, because I I think she would have some good chemistry with Channing Tatum, and then I would relieve that poor man of his dental implant and his ears and all the rest (laughs) of it and just let him act. I think it actually worked. And then I would swap out Eddie Redmayne for um, maybe Wes Bentley or Matthew Good.
4: It's very I like good, that. Very good choice.
0: What do you have, uh, Meredith? Um, well, when
4: um, Travis asked us, as I was <laughs> thinking um, about some of my favorite movies, and um, I I love the rom-coms of the '90s with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and I was thinking who's sort of the cup that um, sort of America's sweetheart couple of. Um, today I think Tiffany Haddish as I, I love Tiffany Haddish so much and um, she's really kind of got um, a rising star right now she's been amazing in Girls Trip and on Saturday Night Live her stand up is wonderful um, so I think I, I'd really love to see like Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail with Tiffany Haddish and then I was like who would the new Tom Hanks be then Just sort of everybody loves them kind of mild mannered not uh, threatening um, and I think John Legend so I would love to oh, watch yeah. the, uh, or like Joe vs. the Volcano I love to watch any of those movies with John Legend and <laughs> Tiffany Haddish I think that would be really fun
0: I think that is some very good casting married with John Legend and Tiffany Haddish I most recently saw a trailer for Night School with her and Kevin Hart yeah and I love the fact that you know one of the actresses that Paul Thomas Anderson wants to work with is Tiffany Haddish she's so, amazing so yeah. I can only imagine the type of project that they could do together yeah it
3: was great and Jesus Christ Superstar last week <laughs> all
0: right well that does it for another jam packed episode of the critical of the circle i want to thank my panel meredith borders lisa ellen the world's tallest producer bobby duncan myself travis lemons and remember this show is brought to you each and every week by leonard courtright of allied Sighting and windows this is travis lemons again saying when it comes to movies make good choices goodbye
2: Hi.